We're on a mission from God. Wendy? So I got that going. Darling? Looks like I picked the wrong week to quit sniffing blue. Light of my life. We enjoy your films. I am a human being. I thought they smelled bad. On the outside. Welcome to Vintage Video, where we're rewatching the 80s so you don't have to. We'll be reviewing every major film release of the 1980s in real time. I'm Patrick O'Reilly. I'm Jesse Bayless. And I'm Richard Wells. And today marks the 40th anniversary of the release of When Time Ran Out on March 28, 1980. It was written by Carl Foreman and Sterling Siliphant, based on the novel The Day the World Ended by Gordon Thomas and Max Morgan Witz, directed by James Goldstone, produced by Irwin Allen, and released by Warner Brothers. The book that the film was adapted from, The Day the World Ended, was a factual retelling of an eruption of Mount Pele in Martinique in 1902, resulting in the deaths of 30,000 people, none by lava. It's brought up in the film to put this original and fictional event into perspective, but the entire book was about that thing that happened in Martinique in 1902. And they bought the rights to it and then made this movie about something happening in the present. They likely changed the title because it had already been used by a Roger Corman movie in 1955, which makes They changed sense. the title from The Day from the World the Ended. The Day the World Ended to When Time Ran Out. I don't, I don't feel like you're saying it right. you got to be able to like hear the ellipses at the end of that. When Time Ran Out. <laughs> <laughs> dot, dot, dot. <laughs> oh, I literally have to say that out loud. That makes more sense. After high-profile failures of The Swarm and Beyond the Poseidon Adventure, Warner Brothers only agreed to greenlight the film on the condition that Irwin Allen would not direct. Uh, Irwin Allen, famous for producing and kind of perfected disaster movies in the 1970s, you had The Poseidon Adventure, Towering Inferno. He was a producer on both and directed some action sequences. Um, he's, I don't think he's the credited director on either mm. of them, but uh, their rule was that he couldn't be behind the camera on the set of this movie. And then they forced all the actors to appear. Yeah, basically all these people were contracted to be in a sequel to Towering Inferno, and they couldn't get it off the ground, and Steve McQueen wouldn't come back for it. He said he didn't want to do a sequel to Towering Inferno, and honestly, I think he was the weakest part of Towering Inferno anyway. Yeah. He barely performs at all he's mostly just a fireman he's just like oh another fireman died anyway let's get up on the oh no that's dead now okay let's go this way then but uh he he didn't uh, he didn't want to do it and everyone else was locked into their contracts so they had to do this movie it bombed also as the era of epic disaster films was falling pretty far out of fashion by this point erwin allen's two most successful installments both got best picture nominations one for there was a Golden Globe and an Oscar. I think uh, Poseidon Adventure got the Golden Globe Best Picture nomination and Towering Inferno got the Oscar nomination. Neither one. Um, I don't think that either really deserved a Best Picture nomination even. No. Um, but uh, When Time Ran Out also got an Oscar nomination. Did it? Yes. For Oh, for costumes? For costumes. Wait, what? what? What costumes? They were just wearing They're their just clothes. They clothes. Street clothes. <laughs> it was a slow costume year. <laughs> yeah, I guess. A lot of naked people in movies that year. Uh, Alan is also credited as the inventor of the Irwin Allen rock and roll. The effect where 
The camera is shaken left to right, and the cast is directed to lean back and forth to indicate an impact being felt. Nice. He invented that. Wow. Isn't that crazy? Used, used on uh, Star Trek TNG quite a bit. Right. With, um, which, if you ever see the stabilized videos, yes, it's hilarious. It looks ridiculous, yeah. <laughs> Um, it was first used on the sets of Lost in Space and Voyage to the Bottom of the Sea, both of which were created by Alan. I would like to do an Alan retrospective when we hit the quit our day jobs level of the <laughs> Patreon goal, because I would love to just sit around watching dumb disaster movies. Unfortunately, we won't get to review many of them, uh, as this was basically the final nail in the coffin of this whole genre until like the mid 90s, I guess, when yeah. people started yeah, it doing it came back. We got um, two volcanoes in like two years, right? Or one year? We're, we're done. They speak of volcano two different years. Uh, maybe they were the same year. Because I think it was like uh, how you had Armageddon and Deep Impact, Deep Impact within a couple months. Yeah. I just rewatched Volcano in preparation for this, and uh, the visual effects are worse than I remembered. Yeah, they were both 1997. Yeah, it's funny. The story was actually better than I remembered, but the visual effects were worse. I was mm-hmm. like, that's not how I expected this to go. Borgnine was pretty vocal about the cheapness of the effects of this movie. He basically said that the problem was, obviously, you're paying all these huge names, and they shot the whole thing on location in Hawaii. Yeah. So that made it extremely expensive, because you're having to house all these people in Hawaii. And transport them to and from, like, all these places. Yeah. It's basically like the way Adam Sandler does movies now. Yeah. It's just like, I want to go on a vacation. Send me on a vacation and just shoot a movie around me while I'm there. Holden was hospitalized. William Holden was hospitalized during the making of the film for six days due to his alcoholism. On oh, I really wanted you to tell me like an actual fireball a hit real him. real volcano <laughs> swallowed him whole. What are the odds? But it spit him out. In an interview with Larry King, Paul Newman referred to the volcano movie as the only one he did purely for the money. Money that he later parlayed into Newman's own homemade salad dressing, a company he founded entirely with his paycheck from this film that's amazing that's wonderful and fascinating so uh i only recently for the first time watched a paul newman movie so so was it when time ran out no 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 (laughs) 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 yes that was this week i watched my first paul Newman. no no but like maybe about six months ago i was like you know i've never seen any paul newman movies I i should watch a few and so um uh oh right Cat on a Hot Tin Roof. Yeah, I watched Cat on a Hot Tin Roof, and I also watched... Oh, shoot. What was the other one that I watched? Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, or...? Yes. I, is oh, he, is you watched that? Cool Hand Luke. <laughs> cool Hand Luke, yes. Oh, cool Hand yeah. Luke. That's a good one. Yes, cool. I, well, I watched all of those with, probably within the last, like, six months. And, uh, you know, so I'm like, oh, I really, I really enjoy Paul Newman. I like it. I, I get it now. Like he's when in people, Cars. He's in Cars? Yeah. yeah. No. He's HUD. Oh. oh, and the HUD sucker proxy. Speaking of HUD. Oh, okay. I guess maybe. He's also in the movie HUD. (laughs) (laughs) He was literally the character of HUD in the movie HUD. Well, I guess I didn't realize when he was doing those roles, I didn't realize who he was. Uh, So now now I started familiarizing myself with his his back catalog of movies here. And you should check out Ombre. I don't. I don't Ombre. understand the salad dressing thing. Like, it seems really weird <laughs> It's now. very left field. It's, yeah, because I didn't understand what kind of character he played in all these movies. And then it was just like, now he dresses up in silly costumes on salad dressing? This yeah. is odd. <laughs> all makes sense. Um, he founded the company with A.E. Hotchner in 82. And uh, it's still in operation. It gives 100% of its after-tax profits to charity, which to date is about $500 million. Um, what is Ombre? Uh, Ombre is a 
a film Paul Newman based on an Elmore Leonard book. Oh, cool. That's probably good then. Um, despite bombing pretty hard, this movie still snagged that Oscar nom, which it lost to Roman Polanski's Tess, an adaptation of Tess of the Durbervilles. So at least it didn't win, <laughs> but it was nominated. Which for which which Oscar? The the costume design we were talking about oh, before. Okay. But um, yeah. Or the other. Do you, we, you mean we, the street clothes? Yeah. The street clothes movie lost to the uh, the period the period, period piece. <laughs> yeah, I feel like every movie we've talked about so far has had better costumes than this movie. Sorry, what were you? Oh, I, I was wondering what, what were the other uh, the other nominees. Yeah. Is that anything else we've touched on? Probably Coal Miner's Daughter, maybe? Well, didn't, didn't uh, we, somewhere in time. Didn't we watch uh, My Brilliant Career because it got nominated yeah, for costumes? Yeah, my brilliant, my brilliant Career was on there. Oh, for costumes? Yeah. Good okay. Call, good pull, Jess. Thank you. And The Elephant Man. Oh, Elephant Man should have won. What one? Tess. Tess. Tess won? Yeah. That's, I don't know. I haven't seen we Tess. Have, we will watch it later that's a, this year. That's <laughs> December. That's a ways off. So the movie starts with uh, Bob Spangler. <laughs> whose name brings to mind Egon Spengler of the Ghostbusters. Uh, no relation. They spell and pronounce their name differently. Uh, he's wearing this, it looks like a radioactive, like, protective suit. Yeah, it's a heat suit. Yeah, it's I mean, a heat suit. Um, and he's walking over, like, a surface of basically a dormant volcano, some volcanic surface. Yeah. It's not, like, literally inside the volcano, but nearby where yeah, there's... Yeah, and, and we shouldn't, I should, we should say, we shouldn't call it a dormant volcano because it is not. Yeah, it's literally it, smoking for the yeah, whole it, beginning it, of the movie. It, it is It is an active volcano that just has not erupted. Right. It, they said it erupts, like, once every 500 years, basically, like, twice in the last yeah. millennium. As he's walking over the this uh, plane that's just kind of steaming... A jet flies overhead, um, and he looks up and sees it. Uh, we cut inside the jet to... Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> no, it's just so weird. Like, he looks up, and it's like, we're inside the jet, all of us. Yeah. <laughs> it's Suddenly. like, you can see what's happening. It's like an Old Spice commercial. Now you're in the jet. <laughs> Mr. Gilmore is commending his secretary on a slogan she developed for an ad campaign. Shelby Gilmore, played here by William Holden, is basically partnering with a local hotel... He's lending his name. He's like the Hilton, mm-hmm. essentially. And uh, they're trying to get people to come to this Hawaiian hotel. And uh, she wrote a slogan, something about, like, come and watch the volcano slumber, toss and turn in her sleep or something Yeah, like yeah. That. And uh, he's like, oh, that's really great. Will you marry me? <laughs> like, it seems almost out of nowhere. Yeah. Uh, but he proposes to her. And uh, she turns him down as politely as she can, but then kind of mocks him afterwards. And she says, uh, what would I be, like the fifth or the sixth uh, wife at this point? But he says, the last. The last one. But he, he knows that she's interested in someone else. And he says, he's not the marrying kind. And she says, well, we can't say that about you, can we? <laughs> we, we cut back to Spangler taking off his heat suit in the seismology lab that's built, like, literally on the rim of the volcano. Oh, yeah. It's so nuts. Yeah. He asks for that day's readings, and uh, he calls Brian, the manager of the hotel, to uh, prep for Gilmore. He says, oh, I, I saw his jet coming in. Mm. I know he's not supposed to be here yet, but he's here, so roll out the red carpet and get ready. On the red carpet, Yolani, another hotel employee, mm-hmm. greets Jacqueline Bissett, who is playing the secretary character, uh, Kay something. K Kirby. K Kirby, and uh, William Holden as Shelby Gilmore who are arriving ahead of schedule. Kay says, oh, you guys are getting married soon, right? 
to Yolani, who says, oh, well, the the wedding, uh, we're pushing it back a little bit. We don't yeah. want to draw attention away from the partnership and all the announcements of the hotel. So we're we're going to do something smaller. We don't want to take any attention away from what's going on. Um, I keep getting confused every time I look back to IMDb and seeing who plays Brian. Yes. Go, he goes, uh, Eddie Albert? Oh, no. <laughs> Edward Albert. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, Brian, the hotel manager, is engaged to this woman, Yolani, who works mm-hmm. at the hotel. And William Holden, as Shelby, pulls him aside afterwards and says, is something going on? Or did, did this get broken up? And he's like, oh, no, don't worry about it. It's just we didn't want to draw attention. But it seems like Brian wasn't actually a part of this plan to like put off the wedding and didn't yeah. know about it until she said that. We cut to an oil well that's being dug pretty near the volcano site. Right. Not as near as where the seismology lab was built. But Hank Anderson, played by Paul Newman, uh, has struck oil. I, I love, I was like watching the scene where he's, he's got like a clipboard and he's like, like checking gauges. And there's one really big gauge and it's like going up in pressure and there's like a red section on the gate, like yeah. the red lines areas. And he's just watching it go up higher and higher. It keeps cutting to him like, like looking at the paper, looking at the gauge. And then it starts to get to the red line. I was like, okay, you're going to say you're gonna like, say, tell, tell, tell someone people? to stop. It's like, nope, nope. It goes past the red line. Things start exploding. He goes, get out. You know, I was like, look at it. It was like, why didn't you warn him? Yeah. What's <laughs> going on? was going that direction really quickly. When time ran out. <laughs> That's also the plot of HUD, I believe. He's, he's uh, uh, punching uh, a bunch of drills in to get oil. I remember mm. oil being a big part of that movie. I haven't seen it in a long time. But yeah, it, the pressure that he's seeing in this reading is unexpectedly high for where they they are punching these holes. And he said that he smelled sulfur right. when it happened, which is a sign that they might be punching into like a, a tube from under this volcano, which is not good. Back in the lab, Webster is worried about the pressure that he's seeing. Uh, Bob says, oh, it's only erupted twice in the last thousand years. Like, stop being a worry wart. We're mm-hmm. going to get this hotel partnership done and everything's going to be fine um at the hotel mr and mrs valdez arrive they are a retired high wire act yeah vaudevillians <laughs> yeah i thought this was very unusual choice for their characters yeah until later it's super convenient <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> forgot about that but also odd that they're both named valdez and i and i don't like they just don't that seem it's like... burgess meredith and, <laughs> yeah that is a weird choice well, because, I mean, Meredith, Meredith obviously is American. Like, obviously, you know, people from Spain are Caucasian. But but she's Italian, and that's definitely not, an, you know, Italian. I don't know. It's like this, like the name Valdez. Like, yeah. It, really it was me. an interesting choice. I, I just think of Valdez is coming, <laughs> the, name, the title of the movie. <laughs> I just think of the, the guy with a, with a donkey in your kitchen when you're not looking. <laughs> um <laughs> Uh, but they they're very excited because Shelby Gilmore recognizes them. And they describe like, him oh. as the man with the name on the marquee, right? Because they're using their vaudevillian terms. <laughs> and he's trying to downplay it and be humble, and he's like, "And the towels, like it's not just the building, like you know, I I also paid for the towels." But Gilmore invites his goddaughter Nikki to dinner, which I wasn't sure what was happening yeah. until later. <laughs> they don't really. Uh, they're not very upfront with the relationships between these characters. So he just sort of leans over an edge and he's like, hey, Nikki, what are you doing later? Oh, well, we should have dinner. And she's like, of course, I wouldn't miss it or whatever. But they don't explain that these are the, the relationship between these two characters until much later. Yeah. Nikki, oh, sorry. Oh, I was going to say, like, they, Nikki uh, is 
uh, it tells this horrifying story about a centipede. A foot-long centipede <laughs> that stung Kala. And came out of the volcano. Right. And I was like, what? Yeah, and I think by came out of the volcano, they mean came out of the ground near the volcano. Like, yeah. things are getting hot enough that these enormous insects are being ejected from their their <laughs> normal living spaces. Well, that kind doesn't come out very often. They usually stay pretty deep. Anderson rushes to Bob's office to announce that they've struck oil, but that there's dangerous pressure underground. Yeah. He lands on the world's smallest helipad. Yes. It's a very tight landing. It's like it's like the barely the size like you have to kinda like sidestep to get in the helicopter. This is pre Twilight Zone and they're doing a lot of risky, dumb stuff in the helicopters in this yeah. movie. Oh my goodness, so many crazy helicopters. Yeah. Yeah. Uh Bob tells him that the lab ratings back at this this laboratory they have on the edge of the volcano are totally safe. He's like, I don't know what you're talking about. You're saying it's super high pressure, but that's not what we're getting at the lab, so I don't think you need to worry about it. And he's like, Okay, well, you know, I would like to see those numbers that you're talking about. He said, mm-hmm. okay, great. We'll be there tomorrow morning. But in the meantime, you know, we struck oil. That's great. Like, we should drink a bunch of champagne. I have a whole case of it. Like, why aren't we celebrating? But Gilmore comes in and he says that he overheard them talking about the, the pressure problems. But Bob says, it's nothing to worry about. Don't worry about it. Forget it. Everything's great. Hotel's wonderful. This, this whole scene, my note here for is, is this whole scene is so awkward. Yeah. Because, like, Kay Kirby obviously is, like, making eyes at Paul Newman. Right. And people are acknowledging that Paul Newman is just, like, cold as ice yeah. to her. Well, it's, being in the room. And then he finally leaves and it's like, oh, good, we can have a conversation at a normal pace now. Because it was, it's just really awkward. She's like, oh, hi. And he's like, hello. Good to see you again. <laughs> and everyone just stares at each other for a while. It's like, all right, anyway. But this is the the indication we're getting that this is the not the marrying kind that they were talking about before. The one that got away, so to speak. He leaves, but she follows him out. And she says that she kind of deserved that, but that she would like to see him. She's very persistent. Yeah. She says that she misses him, but he explains that that's not really enough because you're seeing Mr. Gilmore. So it's great that you miss me and all, but... Uh, this is still technically a love triangle unless you're officially leaving this other person who just proposed to you. Gilmore tells Bob, uh, the man who's staying and running the hotel, mm-hmm. that he knows what it's like having a famous dad and that it can be really hard and that basically after your your famous dad dies that all the triumphs are empty because you're trying to prove it to a ghost. And Bob disagrees vehemently. He's just like, oh no, it's it's great. Everything I do is is wonderful and i i don't pull your money out of the hotel mm-hmm. we get a quick shot of francis fendley playing tennis at some tennis courts on the hotel grounds and he's being watched by detective conti played by ernest borgnine francis is being played by red buttons yeah he gets really mad that this detective has just been watching him because he, apparently he's been watching him for a while and he leaves the tennis court and walks up to him and says I've noticed you, and I know what you're doing, and you could just stop following me around. It's just getting annoying. Why don't you uh, like me following you? Do I stink or something? And he said, well, I'm going to follow you for five years until I'm completely retired. Why don't you be a good guy and give all those bonds back, huh? Mm-hmm. Like, he's just like, I know what you did, and you can return the money if you want me to leave you alone. But essentially, uh, Fendley is a criminal, and uh, this guy's going to waste his, all the time that he has until retirement. I don't, I don't know how he, like, is he getting a stipend? Is he getting 
money yeah. from the New York Police Department to Just, just hang out at a resort in Hawaii yeah. Right Yes I would do that too Until I retired well, In I fact guess... I would be like Don't turn in the bonds I'll just chill here Until we're, uh, I can retire Yeah exactly <laughs> Please don't give them back I, I mean if it depends on how much money they are If it's worth it to the department But yeah Hank takes the chopper back to the crater Renee The, the wife of Burgess Meredith Or no no, Renee is Burgess Renee, Meredith's yeah, yeah, character. Is. Uh, Renee is giving Rose her medicine. She seems to be suffering from possibly cancer, or they don't say specifically, do they? They said that she has a tired heart later, but the the, the thing she's wearing on her head it kind of, kind of yeah. implies that she's in chemotherapy or yeah. something. But he's giving her all of her pills, and she's joking like, oh, I, I don't know how they know where to go in my body when I take them, and he kind of laughs about it. And uh, they share a toast to many more adventures. Mm-hmm. Bob goes to meet with uh, Yolani in the woods. And this is our first indication that, oh, he uh, is... Actually, do we do we know that he's with Nikki yet? Um, I don't think so. But no. we do know that she's with Brian. Right. So that that's like obviously why yeah. the wedding is... So there's, a, there's at least one, a, a second love triangle happening so far. Yeah. So if you're following, there's the two love triangles we know about are Gilmore... Anderson and Kirby and Kirby is one triangle. And then the other love triangle is this, this employee of the hotel, her fiance who is managing the hotel mm. and the guy who actually owns the whole place. Yeah. Uh, is, is the second love triangle. There will be a third. Yes. Uh, because it's not made clear yet. Cause that, that's Nikki is a love square. <laughs> yeah. It's a love square. Uh, it would be perfect if Nikki ended up with Brian. Um, <laughs> everyone would have been happy. Yeah. Every, everyone would have been great. Uh, not bitter at all about nope, their nope, situation. Nope, that always works fine. The consolation prize. But he goes to meet with her. He gives her a protective necklace that he was given as a child by, like, the high priest of some local tribe here on this Hawaiian island. Yeah. He's he says that she, he's giving it to her so that it will protect her. Doesn't work too well. <laughs> Spoiler alert. <laughs> um, it's, it just seems like the whole point of that scene would be to like. Oh no, he gave her his protective necklace. Now he's going to die and she's going to be protected because this is a disaster movie. It doesn't make sense for them to die at the same time in the same scene. If that happens, <laughs> you'll have to stay tuned to find out. Bob, Webster, and Hank get into a volcano pod. Oh my God. To go look at lava. <laughs> like, just just observe it yeah. firsthand. It's not, it's not a volcano pod. It is a Wonkavator. They yeah. basically get into the Wonkavator to go into a volcano. Right. <laughs> and, and and they have to all go down together. Right. They can't send they can't a just, camera. They can't just or... send a thermometer down to tell them the reading that they're getting from this whole Wonkavator thing. And so they're going down. I wrote in my notes, glass floor? No, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> That's why you have, you have you to know, see it. So you can see the volcano that you're descending into. But as they're getting lowered into it, they're they're recognizing more activity than anticipated. Mm-hmm. It's bubbling a lot. And suddenly, a blast causes a malfunction in their descent. And they can't pull the thing back up. And it's starting to go down faster and faster and further and further than it was supposed to. I, I, I really liked the, um, the, the depth gauge readout. Yeah. Where it was, like, really more elaborate than it needed to be. Because it had just, like, the hundreds places within a whole other number. Yeah. And so you have to read like three separate lines of numbers in order to know is that I'm at 300 tens and then a five. Okay. So yeah. 315. Yeah. <laughs> it was just have it be one set of numbers. Yeah. It doesn't really make a lot of sense. Um, I did 
<laughs> I wrote I wrote the F word in all caps here. Because when that guy falls through the glass, yeah. I went, oh, I, I actually <laughs> freaked out for yeah. a moment. Because yeah. I thought, oh, here it is. This is the first one. But yeah, a second blast from the volcano shatters this, I'm assuming, tempered, like super tempered glass that yeah. they have at the bottom of this thing. But Webster basically drops through and they barely catch his arms. Someone back up in the station is able to pull, put like a manual pulley Mm-hmm. in place so that he can actually well, this is start tiny. winding the thing back up yeah this is tiny yeah, uh, yeah but, it, every but it has tiny three full-grown men in this thing and uh-huh. he is manually cranking them out right. of a volcano well yeah. i'm sure it's like his efforts are being multiplied yeah. by a pulley system but still but also this is alex karis yeah. so he's supposed he to can... be super strong but he he pulls these guys up to a point where the machine is actually back in working order and mm-hmm. can lift them out of the <laughs> I don't know why uh, that needed to happen, but the whole time uh, Webster is hanging out of this thing, but they eventually get him pulled back in. They do not drop him into this volcano yeah. already. Um, that would kick things into high gear even faster than it already does. Instead of doing this before they get in the pod, now Hank decides, all right, I'm going to go look at the computer readings <laughs> and see if you were lying to me about whether there was activity. Um, and he sees it and he's like, this thing's a goddamn powder kick. I'm going to shut down the well. Like, we're, we got to get out of here. And Bob says, Damn it, man, we have a contract! I don't think the contract says I have to murder myself and all my employees. Yeah. I think I'd rather be in violation of that contract than dead. But uh, he goes back to the well and he tells all the guys, Hey, so this is super dangerous and we all need to cut out and go home. So pack up your things and we're leaving. And they all say, Well, what does Bob say? And he says, Well... Bob said it's safe, but Bob's an idiot. And they're like, well, I got two kids I'm trying to put through college. You know, I need, I need this money. And he said, I think they ought to be chasing you guys with a bunch of butterfly nets because you're all crazy. But he agrees to stay. He doesn't agree to stay. He says, if you guys, if, if the money means that much to you, go ahead. But I'm leaving, basically. He's, he's not going to stay and be a part of this operation anymore. I really, I, I felt the opposite. I felt like they, because... It's his well, so right. But he gets in his truck and drives away. When no, he no, he, he doesn't. He goes into the the his crew cabin where Kay Kirby's waiting for him. Oh, uh, okay. I guess yeah. I don't know. I got the impression that he was quitting, but that these guys weren't going to quit. Uh, Either way, Jesse, it's a. Gotta... Uh, I I agree with Patrick on huh? this one, right. but uh, you know, I think it could be open to interpretation. Either way, if he's as terrified as he's pretending to be about the pressure buildup. He shouldn't have let the guys stick around. It's like, I don't care if you have two kids because none of us are going to survive to our next payday. So let's go. Let's go home. Yeah, because in his trailer, Kay's waiting for him and they go on a picnic. Yeah. So he's not in a rush to leave. That's true. Yeah. Yeah, Um, but this is the man with the helicopter. Yeah. (laughs) Where are you going to fly it to? That's the whole point. He makes that point later. Anywhere in the world. (laughs) Uh, Tiny and Kelly go to Mona's with a chicken. (laughs) (laughs) You heard that right. Tiny and Kelly go to Mona's with a chicken. They uh, enter Mona's, which is like a bar in like the downtown area. And also possibly a brothel. Yes. Um, They have a chicken in a cage and she says, oh, that's great. Is this uh, for another fight? And they said, yeah, get Sam out here. And she what is she she has like a whistle, a whistle. Or something. yeah she blows a whistle to to signal sam that he's 
his attention is needed out on the main floor. Right, but he's not listening to the whistle, so she blows into it twice, and then he comes out with like a pipe, like he's ready, or a bat, like he's going to beat somebody up, and he's like, twice means there's a fight going on that I'm supposed to break up. And she's like, well, there is going to be a fight going on because these gentlemen brought a chicken and they want to have a cockfight with you. And he bets them a significant amount of money, like $10,000. $10,000. And Sam here is being played by Pat Morita. Yeah. Um, Oscar winner, Pat Morita? Pretty sure he won for Karate Kid. At the very least, he was nominated. Nominated Karate Kid supporting. Oh, so he didn't win. Well, that's a shame. But yeah, so he, he agrees to this fight and they're they're going to have this chicken face off against another chicken and and mona and sam seem seem to think it's a sure thing that they are going to win right and, and take this guy for their money like sam even says like yeah we're gonna we'll have this fight and then for ten thousand dollars i'll take all your money and also when my chicken kills your chicken i get his feathers for like whatever project i want like yeah. i can just have the remains of your chicken when we're done and he's like yeah that sounds like a deal because he just wants money and he thinks that he has a decent chance at it Conti, the detective, corners Fendley again as he's jogging around the grounds of the hotel. Mm-hmm. And he says, I'm, I'm going to keep following you, even though he's like winded. He's been running around and he's drenched in sweat. And, yeah. And Fendley's wearing like this tracksuit. Yeah. yeah. This tracksuit. He's running around and he's doing fine, which is funny because I, uh, I was watching uh, Poseidon Adventure and he's red buttons is wearing like a tracksuit running laps around the ship and i, I mm-hmm. wondered if this was like a reference to that because just because he has a really funny run yeah yeah but uh Borgnine is just getting exhausted he's like i'm gonna keep chasing you and then every time he's looking away he's like huffing and puffing like well, i can't okay. keep chasing this guy because again Berg- Borgnine also in poseidon adventure right with yeah buttons um and he played a detective again in in poseidon adventure i'm pretty sure he was I, at least I, a police I, officer I, he was definitely a cop I because can't he's talking to his wife who's like a former prostitute and yeah he yeah. arrested her multiple times <laughs> Well, I had to figure out some way to keep you off the streets until you'd marry me. Gilmore says that he he talked to Webster and uh, he lied that it was a cable issue, basically. Um, he was like, I, I heard something happen to the volcano and I, t- I talked to Webster and he, he said it was just an issue with a cable that just came loose when they, you guys were trying to check out the volcano. And Bob's like, that's exactly what happened. It was- mm. Yes. Oh, yeah, that's lovely. <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> they, uh, he doesn't believe what Webster told him. And Bob says, well, we, we could call him right now. Like, yeah. you're just trying to bluff him. And he picks up the phone and he calls Webster. And then he's like, hey, Webster, how are those readings looking? And he's like, oh, it's terrible. We're all going to die. It's horrendous <laughs> down here. We're dying. We gotta I'm, evacuate. I'm on fire. We're dying. we got to evacuate right now. Yeah. And then he's sounds like, oh, great. that sounds great. Well... <laughs> You know what? I, I think uh, Shelby would like to hear you say how great things are going uh, to his face. I'd like Mr. Gilmore to hear that for himself. Uh, why don't you do that right now? And he hands him the phone, and Shelby says, I told you, I I trust my partners to a point. And he hangs up the phone. So he's successfully bluffed, bluffed him here. Yeah. Kay says that Gilmore gave her a dossier of all of the people that Hank Anderson has ever slept with because he was like, you, you need to stop pursuing this person. You need to marry me. Don't marry him. Look, here's a list of everyone he's ever had sex with. Uh, he just uses women. He's a waste of your time. And she's like, I, I could recite every woman that you've slept with in alphabetical order. And he's mm-hmm. like, okay, go ahead and start. <laughs> like, he's interested to hear how, how thorough this dossier is. But he's already pointing out flaws in it. She's like, I know every woman you've had sex with since you lost your virginity when you were 16. And he's like, 
well, when I was 14, like <laughs> he's thinking of things from before her history, but they're, they're trying to sit down and have a picnic here and he can't get the cork out of the wine. And so she leans over and she's like, push it in. <laughs> so it's very double entendre e. Um, uh, but I, I like what he says. It's like, I hope this is a good year for corks. <laughs> yeah. And then they, suddenly they start making out when the volcano erupts. Yeah, it was a kiss. Uh, yeah. And the earthquake rocks the island. It destroys the tarmac yeah. as planes are taking off. That's a cool shot. Yeah, it, it's a... Uh, in, in, I don't even remember if it's ever brought up yeah. about the airport. But I think it was just to visually show us... They're not leaving this island. Yeah, we can't use the airport to leave. Um, the lab collapses into the volcano. Uh, probably the worst looking model uh, in this whole movie. Yeah, but but also I just I just feel like you built this on the rim of a volcano. Yeah. What did you think was going to happen? <laughs> and it's like most of it is hanging over the edge into the volcano yeah. already. Hank and Kay jump into the helicopter as quick as they can and they fly to the ranch to pick up Nikki, the kids, a few other people. Yeah. Um, the the work on the ranch, I guess, and the ranch hands. Because they, they were they were going to check out the crater and we see it like we get a lot of like imposed stock footage of volcanoes erupting, but they are seeing that the lava flow is heading right towards the ranch. Right. So they pick everybody up. There's not enough room in this helicopter, so a couple dudes are having to ride on the outside of it. Which I think is kind of ridiculous. Yeah. Like if if there's not enough room for everybody in, first of all, there there probably is. I mean, this is like a yeah. this is like a no room for Jack on the doors on the you know the rose pushing him off into the water. Like yeah. just sit on each other's laps. If the helicopter can carry your weight, just like you know, Jenga Jenga yeah. yourself in there. Like figure out a way to to to, to Tetris you all in and well, hanging off the sides. Like yeah. it's just stupid. And I don't understand why they have to turn and fly over the lava yeah. to get away. It's well, like, just stay over the grass. Well, and the one guy had it right. He had both arms kind of like threaded in. Right. And they were holding on to him. Well, the other guy was just like holding on with his pinkies. Like, yeah, yeah I got this. It's not like, a problem. I've been drinking a lot of tea for practice. Um, what I would have done is I would have taken off my belt and then looped my belt around a part of the helicopter. Well, that's just because you don't like pants. <laughs> But um. But I feel like they would have been, like the, those guys hanging out on the outside. Like if you legit can't get in the air in the helicopter, just run away. Get in the truck and just start driving. Yeah. But instead, they decide they're gonna hang onto the sides, and Anderson tells them, "Hey, the air's gonna get real rough over the volcano." It's like, don't go over the volcano. Go, go away go, from go the volcano. Around. The erupting volcano. I'm gonna go over uh, that thing. But they do go over the volcano, and the guys are like, "It's all, it's fine. We're gonna be okay." And then one of them just loses his grip and falls mm-hmm. off, and he falls like horizontally toward the volcano. Yeah, like not at the an only impossible time in the movie that, that we fall sideways into yeah, it's right. lava. Uh, but this is our first death by lava over the course of the movie. Which, if you're the person who wrote the book about. 30,000 people dying from a volcano and not one of them touching lava. <laughs> You're probably already frustrated. Yeah. A tidal wave destroys this the town where Mona's restaurant was. Yeah. It really seems like the only thing that the tidal wave hits somehow. It only hits this little town. It doesn't hit the hotel. It doesn't hit any other part of this island. Yeah. Uh, it just takes out some of the other like superfluous characters. But the but, other thing that's weird is that the, the earthquake was on the island. So the mm-hmm. tidal wave should be going away from the island. Right? Isn't that how tidal waves work? Don't they go out from the volcano? Uh, I mean... Or from the earthquake epicenter? Uh, 
Well, the volcano is erupting, but we don't know where the epicenter of the earthquake is. Okay, I guess. I mean, so. I mean like, you know, the volcano is a thing, but I would say that the epicenter doesn't ex- necessarily have to be inside the volcano. True. But I also agree, it's it's out of nowhere, and only comes from, like, one direction. And it only hits, like, 12 buildings. Yeah, and uh, so, I mean, I think the implication is, is that everyone in town is dead. Yeah, except, except for, for this one car full of people. It's yeah. basically Mona and Sam and a couple women that they got out of the bar. Uh, well, a couple of their clientele, <laughs> yeah. or their their uh, the their girl, actual employees. They just call them the girls. <laughs> yeah, but the the wave is like chasing them through the hill roads to get back to the hotel. It reminds me of uh, in Deep Impact when they're like driving down the freeway and the tidal wave is just swallowing up all the cars stuck mm-hmm. in traffic. Mm-hmm. When they get back to the hotel, Shelby is basically to explain the danger of the situation. He's telling everyone about that volcano in Martinique that the film is based on. Which is the only time that that story appears in the actual film. Yeah. And he says, we need to get out of here because they already know about it on in neighboring islands and they're sending help that should be here tomorrow. Yeah, And two Paul ships. Newman says, like, they may cancel tomorrow. Like, there might not be a tomorrow, which is the only reference to the world ending that we mm-hmm. get since the title changed. Well, what if there is no tomorrow? There wasn't one today. The crowd gets very antsy and decides that they, as a crowd of like 50 people, are going to steal the helicopter because mm-hmm. it's the only way off the island. So they just pile all over this thing and fly it out over the ocean. None of them knows how to fly a helicopter. Yeah. That, that, that's the important thing because at first I was wondering, well, wait, why is it? Oh, they don't know how to fly. Yeah. But now it makes more sense. But they all just pile into this helicopter, swing it out over the ocean, and people are falling off the side of it over the ocean, mm. like dropping like 30, 40 feet into the ocean. And then they swing back past the hotel and crash it into a cliff face and just kill all of those people that thought they were going to escape. Yeah. This is when the volcano starts getting real vindictive and starts just throwing lava balls mm-hmm. directly at the hotel. Yeah. Like, there's this whole huge island, and it throws, like, four lava balls, and they all hit the hotel dead center. One of them almost hits a balcony. Ernest Borgnine shoves red buttons out of the way and takes the full force of this lava Mm -hmm. and catches on fire and is completely engulfed in flames. And no one else but red buttons is even trying to help. Yeah, well, one other guy does, but that's at Bob's command. He's like, see what you can do here. Uh, Hank says, we got to move. We saw that lava. It's coming right for the hotel. But Bob is telling everyone, no, the, the hotel's safe. It has a solid foundation, even though lava is hitting it from above. Yeah. And lava is pouring over the hillsides directly in, in the path of this thing. Uh, and then he turns around and says, because by now we've learned that Hank's whole team was killed. Yeah. Everyone that was drilling has been killed by lava. Yeah. Sam and Mona arrive with the girls. Yeah. And Sam tells them what happened. And Bob says, well, that's your fault. Because I told you to pull all those guys out. And you're the reason they're still here. So their blood is on your hands. And it's like, Bob didn't tell him to pull those guys out. Yeah. He's lying in front of everyone. But instead of correcting him, Hank just punches him. Uh, so everyone thinks that Hank is crazy. And no one wants to listen to what Hank has to say moving right. forward. I think, I think technically by not saying, you're lying. I told you we needed to leave. And all my men are dead because of what you said. He makes himself look crazier and he is partially responsible for any deaths that happen from people not trusting him here. Shelby tells Nikki it's time to go. And Nikki being his goddaughter. Mm-hmm. And I think this is the conversation where we find that out. 
And she says, well, no, my, my husband said it's safe, so we're going to stay here. My husband being Bob, Bob, who is running this hotel. And, and currently having an affair. Yeah, having an affair that she doesn't know about. But uh, he says, don't you understand the only reason that you're married to Bob is because he wanted to get to me. Like, he, he married my goddaughter so that I would partner with him on this hotel. And she's super offended by that. Mm-hmm. It's the typical, like, sitcom like oh well you're just jealous but uh so she says no i'm gonna stay here and he doesn't put up much of a fight no he Uh, he says goodbye it's the same as the mistake that that hank makes earlier where he's just like all right guys you want to work on this thing yeah you just keep working on it that's great and he leaves her they as, as they're leaving the hotel hank asks if there are any takers but at this point everyone just saw him punch out a guy who blamed him for murders Um, so they're all like no you seem crazy and all your people are dead and that's your fault so we're gonna stay here so basically it's just hank and Kay, mm-hmm. brian shelby the tightrope walkers decide they're gonna come along and the cop and criminal team of and, uh, and, red buttons and ernest borgnine also and, yeah mona and sam well and the um the the ranch hands and their yeah, kids a couple anonymous locals yeah uh, so, so brian's plan here because he's like the local that knows the island is to go to what he calls the lava tube mm-hmm. and so like i feel like if i was at that hotel and somebody said okay there's a lava flow coming this way and we have to escape if somebody's like yeah let's go to the lava tube i'm not going yeah there. no that's not a great idea <laughs> But the first place they're trying to get to is the is the high forest, they call mm-hmm. it, which is supposedly if all this lava is going downhill, they'll be safe at this high point. But uh, or no, nobody else is interested in, in the water. Time. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I, I didn't look it up to see if that's like an actual thing to escape a lava flow. If it's between you and the ocean. Yeah. Just, can, you can just, I just swim go out like 30 the, feet out and well, wait until the they, boats get there. They did say that all the boats were destroyed by the tsunami. But there's also boats coming the next day. Right. I guess how fast and how far can lava flow in the water and how long can I stay afloat? That's with, true. And, and would the water and get is like... There, is there going to be another tsunami? Yeah. Because there's a whole hotel, which I imagine has tons and tons of things that you can makeshift into some Rafts kind of and... floating... Yeah. Flotilla. It's made out of toilet paper rolls, toothpicks, and plastic forks. <laughs> the sails are made from scabs and dynamite. dynamite. <laughs> oh, God, that's gross. So they all basically leave in a caravan of three cars, um, all the people we mentioned. Everyone else decides they're going to stay at this hotel. Yeah. As they're leaving the area, they have to stop at this avalanche that blocked the road. And when they climb to the top of this rock pile, they see that the entire road has been washed out Yeah. on the other side of the hill. So they have to just tiptoe along this very thin cliff to get to where the road is whole again. One of the anonymous locals falls mm-hmm. as they're trying to span this gap. And his kid is watching Yeah. and cries, Daddy, as he's like falling to his death. And he doesn't even like fall like obscurely beyond like a you know a foggy layer like he just literally yeah. falls and hits a rock right in front of him and his dead body is just lying there uh, but the kid gets over it real quick he's well, a trooper i thought that though because those were the same kids that were in the helicopter that they took from the right. ranch right i thought their dad was, was the, the guy that, that already... fell off the first time in the lava i'm like man they're taking that really well and then when he falls and says daddy i'm like oh that well, one that's was their, their dad. dad okay okay All right. well now both of them are dead but they have the kids still Back at the hotel, Nikki catches Bob with Yolani 
and they're kissing and he says we don't have to hide it anymore i don't know why they don't have to hide it anymore but he's yeah like, oh it turns out now we don't have to do it anymore it's okay if i piss off the partner for this hotel now brian's what? gone i was like oh wait, was there another person it was it was th- there are three sides to a square right right <laughs> well they don't have to pretend anymore because gilmore left right but he didn't leave permanently like he can't just flirt with this woman in front of everybody because doesn't and, he right, but if he's but if he's having... distinctly not there, they don't have to hide. But also, Nikki's still there. <laughs> yeah, it's it's weird, but uh, she catches them them kissing, and she confronts him about it, and he says, "Yeah, no, uh, Shelby was right. You probably should have gone with him, but it's too late for me to tell you that now." So, anyway, uh, there's refreshments in your room, and there's a mint on your pillow, and uh, he doesn't say that, but. That's basically the end of this conversation, and she's just embarrassed that she put up with this so long, and she didn't believe her godfather when he told her. Yeah. Uh, the escape team comes to a bridge over flowing lava. Yeah, which is, which is oddly enough, this is the last scene of the movie, essentially. Yes. we're, and it we're goes at the on, last scene. It kind of goes on for quite some time here at this location. So after about seven or eight minutes, no one has crossed the bridge yet. Paul Newman very slowly crosses it and then crosses the whole way back. But uh, before they can actually cross the bridge, suddenly the kids have disappeared. Mm-hmm. Uh, because they were scared, so they ran away from the people protecting them. But so now everyone's looking for the kids. Pat Morita's like freaking out. He's like, oh, I've, I've checked everywhere. I can't find them. I don't know what's going on. Then this is where Hank notices that uh, Rose has passed away. Mm-hmm. Rose and Renee are laying on the ground, and he says oh, her heart gave out. You know, there's there's nothing I could do, and and uh, he says you don't have to bring me with you. There's no reason for me to go on. I could just die right here with her. Uh, we'll be fine. And then Pat Morita's like, I need to find these children. And then he remembers that she, before she died, Rose had said that he should he should protect the kids when they were crossing the right. platform, and. Uh, and suddenly it gives his life new purpose that, oh, I got to take care of these kids. Everything's going to be fine as long as I take care of these kids. He doesn't really do much to take care of them for the rest of the movie. But yeah, he, yes, he does. He carries one on his back. Not enough. Okay. Well, he at this point, though, he runs he runs off to go find him because, you know, like he, he was planning to stay behind anyway. So he goes off to find the kids and he's like, okay, you guys go cross the bridge. I'm going to find these kids. Yeah. So everyone crosses the bridge. We get another... 10 full minutes and we're still very slowly crossing the bridge but before that happens sam falls through the bridge yeah the, there, there's like a, a big blast and the most of the planks and the girders start to give uh first the the girl in i just put her as a red girl yeah because <laughs> because there's a girl in red and a girl in white right uh i don't know their names because no, they keep calling the, them the girls the girls yeah so she falls in and I mean, they don't show the deaths. They just saw. They just show like them falling towards the Almost lava. Almost to the point and of then, contact. Well, and then it cut looks away. like, and you know, the, these falling scenes are hilarious. I mean, it looks like a, you know, vertigo poster, like Saul Bass, yeah. mm-hmm. like you know, falling <laughs> yeah. body sideways kind of thing. Yeah, yeah anatomy <laughs> of a murder. <laughs> but uh, yeah, and then and then Sam and then Sam goes down, which I was really hoping Sam would make it through, but uh, he doesn't. And then Renee shows up with the kids and he gets prepared to use his career as a tightrope walker Mm -hmm. to successfully navigate across this bridge. Um, He goes and gets like a big stick of bamboo. So he has a balancing beam. Right. Then, uh, yes, this, this is when 
the volcano officially blows up the entire hotel in one blast. Oh no, that still that still doesn't happen yet. It's, it's not until they get across. The, they all get across the bridge. Right, but nothing else happens along the way. I mean, oh yeah, I mean, okay, so okay, we're going okay. I didn't. I didn't know if we were going to talk about yeah. them going back and forth on the girders. I mean, we don't really need yeah, to. Yeah, there, there's not much. I mean, <laughs> Renee just... Renee crosses the bridge, and then Hank crosses with one of the kids. He almost falls, and then yeah. The, the third doesn't... act of this movie is this bridge. Yeah, I, because I think it was a really expensive set. It was actually on a soundstage. Mm-hmm. This whole scene, but because uh, it's like some famous soundstage where they have a waterway that goes underneath it that they they use in a bunch of different movies, but they lit it so that it would look like lava and. Had some flame they, spurts. They kept rewriting until a third of the script took place on this bridge. But yeah, back at the hotel, mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't even understand what's supposed to be happening. Like a tiny spark escapes from the volcano and it hits the hotel and the whole hotel explodes like it was yeah. just a pile of TNT. Well, yeah, I, I think I think that we're not getting a very clear idea of how big the fireball is. Right. I think when you see it leave the volcano, what you're supposed to and you see how big it is in the sky, it's actually that big. It's okay. like bigger than the hotel. Yeah. Um, and, and in what I think is super crazy, because I don't know if this is actually what's happening or not, but when Nikki's in her room and her yes. mirror shatters, I was like... She screams so loud <laughs> that the mirror shatters? No, I thought it was the heat. Oh, maybe. I thought it was the heat from this fireball was so intense that the, the glass just, just snapped. And I love that shot of like... Iolani just screaming yeah. and Bob's just like just waiting for it to yeah. happen. It, like the, the reactions of the people are because Yolani's just terrified. Yeah. Because she's like, I have this protective necklace. The, the high priest <laughs> yeah. is lying. And Nikki is furious. Like she's angry as she's dying. Yeah. But Bob is just kind of like, uh, oh well. Like yep. as soon as he sees it coming, he's like, all right, this is that's my bad. Um, yeah. Like he's so resigned to his own death already. Yeah, but you're right. Then there's just nothing but a smoking crater that we see footage of. And and this is played off like 200 other people didn't just die. Yeah. It's like only these three people who kind of deserve it for different reasons. It's like, no, no, no. Also, a bunch of innocent people were killed here. Like, we cared so much when when Red Girl fell in the lava. <laughs> but we don't care when 600 people are just completely demolished. But yeah, uh, the survivors basically bunker down in the lava tube rock formation. And we get like a horrible set of conversations where the, the surviving girl in white looks to Mona is like, how are you going to live now that Sam's dead? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was like, whoa. This is early Harsh. for this question. The body's still warm. It's going to be warm for a long time. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, and she just says like, oh, well, I'm just going to adopt these kids. I'm, just, I'm not going to check for like a next of kin or anything. I'm just going to assume that they're up for grabs now. <laughs> We killed both of their dads. Yeah, <laughs> we sent the bodies to war. Reminded me of I think it was a shower thought. Was like when a body's being cremated. There's a moment where it's perfectly cooked. Yeah, <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> that was a good one. <laughs> but yeah, so they we're just trying to wrap up everybody's stories here. So Mona's happy ending is that she gets to uh, steal these two children <laughs> yeah. and raise them as her own. You will be Sam, <laughs> and you. Will be other Sam. Red girl in red. Wear this red shirt. So from bartender, brothel owner, cockfight aficionado to child trafficker, adopted mom. Sure, that's a nicer way to put it. Um, and then we have the cop and criminal uh, sitting next to each other, and he's like, you know, 
I would have died if you didn't put out that fire. And it's like, for some reason, Red Buttons doesn't point out yet. I would have died if you hadn't pushed me out of the way and taken that lava ball to the face. Yeah. But uh, they basically come to a semi-truce, but they say when they get back to New York, like, just give me a head start if you're going to keep chasing after me. And he's like, Mm. yeah, I am going to keep chasing after you. The next morning, rescue boats are arriving. They're seeing Mm. it from the top of the hill. And uh, Shelby basically tells Kay, go be with Hank. I hope you guys are happy together, basically. Yeah. And su- surrenders uh, that that love triangle. But for some reason, Kay is a good person who we're supposed to like. And Bob is a bad person, even though they're both in love triangles. <laughs> and they're yeah. both the, the center point of their love triangles. Then that's the end of the film. Uh, we hold on the shot of them starting to walk down to the lifeboats as credits roll over the yeah, shot we, of the Yeah, we only island. get that one shot of uh, the ships. Yeah. Even, even though it's the same shot of the seaside the later, but the ships are gone. Yeah. Uh, and I was like... Oh, there? no, they sunk. I was like, there were ships there, right? And then I went back and looked. And I was like, yeah, there are two really badly comped ships. Yeah, but they <laughs> like, just didn't comp them into the final credit shot. They, they don't even look like... Um, they don't even look like the right color. They're, like they're, they're like yellow. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I was like, what is, what is this? Uh, this was directed by James Goldstone uh, because it couldn't be directed by Erwin Allen. Yeah. He had previously directed The Gang That Couldn't Shoot Straight. He also directed a movie called Roller Coaster from 77, which I love. It's actually a really great movie. It's George Seagal um, trying to track down an amusement park bomber. And this was uh, James Goldstone's last feature because it bombed as hard as I think everyone expected it to. Yeah. This was written by, I said before, Carl Foreman and Sterling Siliphant. Carl uh, wrote High Noon, starring Lloyd Bridges. Uh, he also wrote Guns of the Navarone, Bridge Over the River Kwai. Yeah. Uh, this was his last feature credit, but he has huge stuff on his credits for this to have come from the same pen. Um, Sterling Siliphant wrote In the Heat of the Night. He's kind of the disaster guy because he also wrote Towering Inferno, Poseidon Adventure, The Swarm. Uh, he also co-wrote Over the Top. Oh. Do you know Over the Top? Oh, yeah. The I know Stallone movie. Top. We also we spoke with uh, David Engelbach, who he co-wrote it with because he wrote a MacGyver episode. Mm. Uh, the novel was written by Gordon Thomas and Max Gordon Witz. This was the second book of theirs that had been adapted into a disaster film. Uh, the previous one was Voyage of the Damned, which the book was also called Voyage of the Damned. Uh, producer Irwin Allen created Lost in Space, Voyage Under the Sea. Paul Newman played Hank Anderson. He was, we mentioned these titles before. Yeah, yeah, Jesse also just recently <laughs> watched some Cool Hand Luke, Butch Cassidy. He's also in The Sting, which you watched recently. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, Hudsucker Proxy Cars. Uh, Jacqueline Bissett was Kay Kirby. She was Miss Goodthighs in the 1967 Casino Royale. Yeah. The worst James Bond movie, maybe <laughs> of all time, if you don't count Spectre. And then <laughs> uh, Kathy and Bullet. Uh, Countess Adrenyi and Lumet's Murder on the Orient Express. Mm. William Holden was Shelby Gilmore here. He's Max Schumacher in Network. Uh, he played Ransom in the 67 Casino Royale. He was also in Bridge Over the River Kwai from the same screenwriter. And he was Joe Gillis in Sunset Boulevard when he was much younger. Yeah. Uh, also, uh, one of my favorites is Stalag 17. Oh, okay, yeah. Uh, but He's great, though. Yeah. Uh, Edward Albert played Brian... Uh, he played Mr. Collins in several versions of Power Rangers. Uh, he's the father of the Time Force Red Ranger. <laughs> he's also the voice of Daredevil on Spider-Man the Animated Series. Oh. Uh, Red Buttons was Francis Fendley. He plays Hoagie in Pete's Dragon. Yeah. Uh, James Martin in The Poseidon Adventure. Longtime comedian and funny, mm. funny character actor. 
uh, Barbara. And great Cru- name. <laughs> and great name. Wonderful uh, adhesive for shirts. <clears throat> uh, Barbara Carrera played Yolani. She was Fatima and Never Say Never Again. She also played Maria in the 1977 version of The Island of Dr. Moreau, which I, that's not the Brando one, right? That's the Michael York one. Yeah. Valentina Cortez played Rose Valdez. Uh, she was Queen Ariadne in uh, yeah, Baron Munchausen. She was Robin Williams' wife. Veronica Hamill plays Nikki. She played Margot Shepard on Lost. Yeah, um, I don't I, know who that is. I, I had to look. I, it's like I had to look it up uh, because that that's, it, she plays Jack she- Shepard's mom, and you know she's she's only in like three episodes. Oh, okay. And because it's all flashback stuff. Yeah, uh, but I was like, oh, she was on Lost. I was like, oh, okay, she was a couple episodes, but yeah. Uh, she's also Suzanne Constantine in Poseidon Adventure, and uh, Linda Maxwell in Cannonball with David Carradine. Uh, which Cannonball is kind of like a precursor to Cannonball Run, but they're about the same thing. It's a cross-country driving yeah. movie. Um, I don't think Cannonball is as much of a comedy as Cannonball Run is, uh, but they're both based on an actual thing called the Cannonball Run that happens mm. every year. Um, Alex Karras was Tiny Baker. He plays Mongo in Blazing Saddles, <laughs> um, Sheriff Wallace in Porky's, and he was Squash Bernstein in Victor Victoria. Uh I think he was also the dad on Webster, right? Was he? Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah, he was George. Oh, okay. I, uh, I, I'm not familiar. You, know, you remember watch Webster? No, I didn't watch that one. Uh, but he was also like like a, a like a famous football player. And, right, yeah. Burgess Meredith as Rene Valdez. Uh, he was Ammon in Clash of the Titans. Uh, he plays Mickey in the Rocky movies. Mm-hmm. Um, he was Penguin on the original Adam West Batman. Yeah. Uh, and he's also in Hindenburg and Day of the Locust, both classic yeah, crazy probably. movies. Yeah, I don't know if Hindenburg would be considered a disaster movie, but... Uh, of course it is. But not of like this. Yeah. Kind of disaster movie. It's not a natural disaster movie, yeah. but it's a disaster movie. That was a disaster. And it happened. And there's a movie. It's also a fictional account of. Yeah, exactly. That's what I'm thinking. Well, this one, this didn't really happen either. (laughs) It didn't. No. (laughs) Spoiler alert. James Franciscus was Bob Spangler. Mm -hmm. Uh, He's Tuck Kirby from Valley of Guanji. He also played Brent in Beneath the Planet of the Apes, and he will be back later this year for Night Kill. Uh, John Considine was Webster, who fell through the Wonka Vader. He is a repeat actor from MacGyver. Uh, mm-hmm. He plays a divorced logger and an evil real estate mogul in a couple episodes. Uh, he also directed a bunch of them, including Good Night MacGyver, where we learn MacGyver's first name in Medieval oh, Times yeah. with Wizard. <laughs> and he directed the Trail to Doomsday MacGyver TV movie. He also did, presumably, non-MacGyver related things. I didn't write any down. <laughs> yeah. I, once I saw all this MacGyver stuff, I was like, I'll let Pat handle yeah. this one. <laughs> Uh, Sheila Allen played Mona. She was the nurse in Poseidon Adventure. Um, she's Paula in The Towering Inferno. And she is credited as a producer on the recent Poseidon remake that was just called Poseidon. Yeah, you know, it was, uh, this was an interesting thing, too, because... Uh, is Sheila Allen related to Irwin Allen? It, it didn't occur to me until just now. Uh, I actually don't know that. That, that. that didn't occur to me at all until you said it. Married to Irwin Allen. Okay, so that makes sense then. Um but uh, it was interesting that she was in Poseidon Adventure as such a small role because she reminds me so much of Shelley Winters. Yeah. And mm-hmm. and I almost I was wondering, like, I wonder if this role was meant for Shelley Winters from Poseidon Adventure. And she just wouldn't come back for it. Yeah, because, like, Ernest Borgnine came sense. back and Red Buttons yeah. came back. 
that that's totally possible but yeah that makes sense now that she was in those movies and was credited as a producer on the poseidon remake because Irwin by then had passed away i think so mm. and pat Morita, obviously a sam we had him as uh, mr miyagi uh he's also the chinese emperor in mulan and he played arnold on happy days up or down jess uh i'm a little torn on that because i think that it's kind of falls into that so bad it's good territory. so bad it's good territory uh yeah for sure i but i would say it's not a must watch no okay yeah thumbs up for me uh, this is uh, a thumbs up this is something i'll put on at a party or something and just be like watch this hot garbage <laughs> I've, I've been watching this movie since i was a kid uh and when i found out that this was going to be on our list i was like what time ran out yes <laughs> the time for our disaster movies uh yeah why don't we do that um i asked you guys to come up with uh, your own pitches for disaster movies before we get into our letterbox stuff um who wants to start i can start too it's your idea take okay. it away here's my idea it's basically a turducken of disaster movies <laughs> um there is a titanic themed hotel in las vegas and it's literally the ship standing upright before it got sucked underwater <laughs> <laughs> so they built the whole thing not in the sideways ship. No, all. not at all. It's called SOS, and there's an earthquake that opens a fissure so that the ship sinks into lava. So you have the boat, the lava, and the hotel disaster movie all in one piece. Oh wow, that's way better than mine. <laughs> yeah, mine is not nearly that fleshed out. All right, what do you got? That, that, that's something I can actually see. Happening. I don't know if it's called Bon Voyage or <laughs> or SOS. It's one of those two. But uh, I, vo- I like Voyage because it reminds me of the Mirage Hotel. <laughs> uh, yeah, mine, mine wasn't nearly uh, as thought out. Mine was more along the lines of a movie like Meteor or Deep Impact or, you know, Asteroid Impact movies. Yeah. But less of the uh, preventable ones like Armageddon and Meteor. Which yeah. If you haven't seen Meteor with Sean Connery, it's terrible. Yeah. Um, but uh, And Deep Impact was more like it's going to happen and everything's going to be okay, but a lot of people are going to die. Yeah. This is more taking up from the water world kind of aspect where this impact is going to happen and it's going to cause the ocean levels to rise and more so like the government keeping it under wraps while they made preparations oh, okay. for, for these things to happen. Cause that was always the thing that bothered me about water world. It's like no one, the, the water levels that didn't happen overnight. Yeah, you it's didn't like, just oh, wake up and go, oh, dry land is a myth. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like, no, no, no. It's like, no, they didn't make any kind of preparations. Yeah. So I was like, I want to see a movie about them getting ready, but maybe having it all go wrong to well, lead into Well, then you're going to love the first half of Deep Impact. <laughs> yeah. Isn't that the whole thing? They're like... Yeah. Just meeting yeah. in the government to talk about the ELE and how they're going to like put everybody underground. Yeah, but but you have people who are just up on top of hillsides and mountains that are like, oh, we made it. We're okay up here, too. We don't need to go underground. We can just yeah. be high. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, so I, but I, I wanted this to be more like that. This is going to be a global catastrophe. Everything's going to be underwater. We and 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 when like the like the panic and all that stuff like breaking out and then when the impact occurs and things start to happen and and who's safe and who's not and we're what countries are building the their ships and and all that i liked i liked all this concept of like like being like at, almost at war with china and russia of like who's going to build the bigger Just a survival bunker <laughs> bunker ship like and it's like well, well is it going to have armaments on it yeah. because now we're going to be up against these other countries that have ships 
And it's not going to be a cooperative world thing. Like right. It's going to be totally everyone out for each other, which I think, again, could lead into a water world scenario. Another important question. What is this called? I, it needs a title. Yeah, I, I, I really struggled to come up with a title, and so I really don't have one. Adult Swim. Jess. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, okay, so mine uh, mine is more a la uh, day after tomorrow okay. sort of thing. So uh, extreme climate change. No, no, no. So it's more in that in the style of the film that there's bad things happening all over the place and it's affecting everyone and it's really bad. Except the bad things that are happening are the ten plagues. So, oh, okay. So, so we so we have the plagues happening, and uh, you know, because I I haven't. Uh, you should talk to Dean about this. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I so so I haven't seen a movie that's done this before. So there's plague movies out there that take place, you know, in, in ancient Egypt and mm-hmm. go through it as you know the story of Exodus and all that stuff. And then there's I've, there are some modernizations of of this story. There's um there's one called The Reaping, which is stars Hilary Swank, and it's like a. Uh, a psychological thriller but i want an actual like natural disaster straight movie yeah. straight up disaster movie where lots of people are getting killed this is affecting the whole world and these plagues are coming uh you know one after the other after the other and people are trying to escape him and and who's going to survive and sort of the the bad guys of this movie are going to be like the religious leaders that are going to be like look this is God's wrath. Like he's coming. They're letting it happen. He's he's like, he's telling us we need to repent. You have to come with us or, you know, and, and, and repent or, or you're all going to die. And, you know, and the good guys are going to be, you know, just trying to stop it. Yeah. Like our scientists saying, no, there are scientific explanations. We need to actually physically do something about this. Like we need to actually stop them and not just, you know, hide and pray and, you know, and, and they're trying to actually save people. That sounds cool. I like it. Yeah. Um, speaking of uh, Day After Tomorrow, though, Roland Emmerich is kind of like the new Irwin Allen. Oh, yeah. Like, he kind of inherited that uh, that title of 2012 like, Disaster Movie and... King. Um, and uh, didn't he do Independence Day? Independence Day yeah. and Godzilla. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Godzilla. That was him, too. Yeah. He did a lot of solid disaster movies. Did you have a title for years? I mean, I feel like that's a simple one. You could just go straight with like the plagues or yeah, the plagues or you know, if there wasn't already a movie called that, I'd call it the Ten, something like that. <laughs> the Ten too. <laughs> we just re- we just reclaim that title. Just, we just, just per- forget that last movie called the Ten. <laughs> perfect Ten. I can't forget the last movie called the Ten. <laughs> Let's get David Wayne in here to direct this one too. Yeah, uh, Letterboxed. What do you think? Uh, so I actually put this one really close to our last movie, Tom Horn, and I put this above Midnight Madness and just below Tom Horn. Okay. Uh, I have this, uh, on mine just above, uh, Last Married Couple. Okay. And, but below American Gigolo. Um, I think this might actually be pretty high for me just cause, uh, I like it for the funniness and the weirdness of it. I think this goes right above Saturn three and under Caligula for me. That's very high. Yeah. Because I know Caligula is pretty high on your list. It is. It's in my top, I think, eight right now. So, um, But yeah, I uh, I enjoyed this movie. I think it's something I would watch again. I mean, it's garbage. It's a terrible movie, oh, but yeah. it's super fun to watch. And, and fun is counts for a lot. Just for the cast. 
Just just for the cast alone, I was like, this is super exciting to yeah. see these people who have been forced into a movie they don't want to be a part <laughs> yeah. of. Yeah, <laughs> it's great to watch this, like, Pulgasari of people stuck in a movie at gunpoint. But yeah, I think that's about it for this one. Um, if you guys have any thoughts you'd like to share with us, we are Vintage Video Pod on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and Letterboxd. Or as I've said before, you can find each of our full movie rankings for the year. We can also be found at VintageVideoPodcast.com. Please consider rating us on iTunes to help people find the show. And if you take the time to leave us a review, we will thank you in an upcoming episode. If you're feeling especially generous, you can support the show through patreon.com slash vintage video podcast. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope you'll join us next time when we'll be discussing the Baltimore Bullet, which Google says is about pool hustler Nick James Coburn and his young sidekick, Bruce Boxleitner, who work up to a showdown with Nick's lucky rival, the Deacon, played by Omar Sharif. We'll leave you now with the trailer for the Baltimore Bullet. Welcome. Welcome to a world of con and hustle. Well, this is it, sugar. The office. Hello. Where the action never stops. Can I get, uh, 100? Are you gonna teach me how to play? If you're good, you can make a living at it. Ten? No. But if you're great... Now, first, you chalk the stick. Picks my aces up. You can make a killing. I feel a little strange in this position. Well, how does this feel? Wherever the competition is fierce, and the stakes are high. I got 20 bucks says they're silicone. Two guys who'll make any bet in town. You got a bet, sucker. Are Billy Joe Robbins and the man they call the Baltimore Bullet. Time to party. There isn't a sucker they haven't set up. I'm just looking for punishment. There isn't a hustler they haven't shot down. Wreck them up. There isn't a fight they haven't fought. I don't come for anybody, man. You don't seem to understand. For you, Max. I'll dump. Through good fortune <laughs> and bad breaks. In their 15-year pursuit of fortune, fame. Ooh, the centerfold. And most of all, the deacon. The deacon's out. He's got style. 50,000. He's got class. Your marker is good enough for me, Senator. Listen, I've been waiting for that cat for two years now. He's got everything the bullet wants. And I'm ready. And he'll defend it with the oldest weapon in the world, the stick. Just how good is he? He's a damn good pool player. James Coburn. I'm talking about pool. Me and you, huh? Omar Sharif. I've agreed to play the winner of that tournament for $20,000. That's his bottom. I bet you a hundred bucks you can't get her to dance with you. There's one way to find out. Ronnie Blakely. Excuse me, cowboy. And Bruce Boxleitner. You want the deacon? You want him really bad. He was carrying a briefcase with $160,000 in cash. When it comes to shooting pool, Nick Case is no bum. This time that briefcase is coming home to us. However, he does have one weakness. He can't play for the big cash. All right, freeze. $218,000. Think about that, Mr. Casey. You're gonna make me a rich man. Those were the exact words I heard you say the night I sent you home. And nothing but your chucks, chap. This is the incredible saga of a clash of champions. She's gonna blow the door off. A blinding speed. Deadly accuracy. Iron nerve. There's no way you can win now, Mr. Casey. You need 117 balls. I think we can make Senko's for breakfast. Deacon? And the man they call. I'm gonna beat you. The 
Baltimore Bullet. My body! 